One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. This is episode 143 of the podcast. Hi, everyone, with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. This week, we're talking about the 10 motorsport events around the world that you really must attend at least once in your life. Um, Pinning it down to just 10 was a challenge, um, and I'm certain that people are going to tell us we've got this horribly wrong um, and we were idiots for not choosing such and such event. Um, but anyway, these are our top 10 motorsport events around the world. We have, well, I've been to six out of the 10 that we nominate. I think Andrew's done a couple more. Um, so there are one or two on there that neither of us has been to, but because of their reputation, they deserve to be on the list anyway. Andrew was at the Dakar Rally last week in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia, Um, And so you can be pretty confident that the Dakar Rally is on this list. So here they are, our top 10 must-see motorsport events. Enjoy. I've been thinking about what it is that makes a motorsport event unmissable, and I've boiled it down to three things, Andrew. Oh, go on. Um, So, for me, they are spectacle, atmosphere, and history. Okay? Uh. Spectacle, and that I'm talking about the racing action here yeah the cars or vehicles we'll come yeah. on to that have to it has to be spectacular to watch them go through yeah um atmosphere it has to be more than just a racing event i think there has to be some atmosphere around it there has to be um there needs to be a crowd there needs to be a buzz some energy and then finally history and within history you get sort of significance there has to be lots at stake there has to be a, a sense of importance, a sense of history yeah. that, you know, great drivers have been doing this for decades. So I'm guessing we're not going to be talking about Formula E on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. It's probably not. On, on, on your three measures, I'm not sure it's quite going to make the grade. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't have the history. It doesn't have the spectacle. Maybe not the atmosphere either. Um, so, no, but we are talking about our top 10 unmissable motorsport events, the events that you have to go and see at least once in your life. Um, yes, despite the fact that there are, at least, there are going to be at least some on there, which neither you nor I have been to. So yeah. it's very much a sort of work in progress, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I've done six out of the 10, um, which isn't bad. But I think all of the 
yeah, all of the thing, the ten that we've come up with, tick those three boxes: spectacle, atmosphere, history. Um, some more than others, but this is all because uh, last week you were at what you you attended one of these events. Um, yeah. And so we'll start off with that one. Now, these are in no particular order, and they're all up for debate, and this is why we like doing these things, because inevitably we get people writing in saying, how could you do this list and not have such and such on there? So that's, yes. that's great. Tell us, the, tell us the ones we've missed. Yeah, but if you do that, you have to tell us which one we have to take off to make space yeah. for it, because we're, it is, it's top ten. Um, yeah. So let's get underway then. You were, at, you were in Saudi Arabia last week, weren't you, for the Dakar rally? I was. I was. Your first time? Blimey. First time. Yeah. I mean, I've wanted to go for, I think, for as long as it's been a rally. Yeah. Um, whatever I thought, because it's, it's a sort of thing that's, because I'm not a massive rallying fan, mm. unlike you, um, it's a kind of thing, I mean, I've been aware of it for, you know, for decades, um, and I sort of occasionally watch the odd sort of clip and that sort of thing, but I've never really focused on it. It's always been sort of slightly on the periphery of mm. things that, you know, I'd really want to do if an opportunity presented itself, um, which which it duly did. So so I went without sort of really having ever sort of burned to go. And then I went. <laughs> and I mean, oh, my goodness, it's it is. It is nuts in a way. I mean, it's not as nuts in terms of lethality compared to, you know, at least one other thing that's going to come up on our list. Um, but in terms of its scale and in terms of the endurance, it makes, you know, WRC look like, you know, karting. Mm. It's, it lasts 15 days. Okay, it's two weeks because they have one rest day. And today, as we record, this is the rest day. Um it covers 9,000 kilometers. And these guys, you know, and also the other thing is, it's, you know, you, you know obviously involved rallying in various different categories, but in Pikes Peak, not sorry, Pikes Peak, sorry, in, uh, one in the then. Dakar, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you have motorcycles, you have quad bikes, you people doing this for yeah. Fortnite on 9,000 kilometers on a bloody quad bike. And amazing. it really is a quad bike. It's, you know, it's, it's like the sort of quad bike you might see a farmer roaming around his fields in. On motorcycles, on quad bikes, in buggies, in... I think there are four different classes of, for want of a better word, car. Um, and there are the trucks, the massive trucks that go into it. And they all go over the same course. Um, and, you know, the strength and focus and concentration and skill is of... It, it, it's... I'm not saying it's any better... Mm than you know other forms of motorsport at the top level but it is a completely different kind of motorsport it's the scale i mean there was one bit where we were standing on top of a hill um and there was just the desert in as far as you could see in every direction and you saw these lunatics coming across the plane sometimes there'd just be some poor sod all by himself in the middle of absolutely nowhere and we, we'd driven two three hours out into the desert to get to the middle of the of the stage and you just see this poor sod on his quad bike chuntering across the desert floor, bouncing around, you know, spending as much time in the air as on the ground. Um, and then he'd come along and then he'd try and get up this hill and he'd just about make it. And then he'd, and then, then he'd be off. And that in itself was a spectacle like no other I've seen in motorsport. But for him, it was just a blink of an eye in one day. Mm. <laughs> and he does that for a fortnight. Yeah. Um, 
And then you get the superheroes like Nasser al and Stefan Petter-Hansel and Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Loeb uh, in their works cars, um, driving them for a fortnight with the level of commitment you'd see them driving a special stage on the WRC. And they just... It, it, is, it is indescribably exciting. Uh, not least because there is absolutely no one... Anyway, even at the starts and the finish, where are, there are lots of officials around, I'm not sure what they do, but they certainly aren't saying, you can't go there, don't stand there. Do what you like. <laughs> yeah. Literally do what you like. Um, you know, we got a bit adventurous on one or two occasions, um, and everything was okay, but in retrospect, we probably got a bit too adventurous because uh, it, did get a t- it did get a little sketchy at times, but there's no one to stop you, and your enthusiasm takes you over, um, and, and you do find yourself trying to see how close to these things you can get, and the answer is as close as you like. Oh, you know, the hell. limiting factor is your courage. Yeah. Wow. Because no one is going to say to you, you can't do that. It's not being sanitised, uh, is it? In any way. <clears throat> I mean, it felt like it, it felt like watching a sort of off-road 1950s millimilia. Mm. It was that level of bonkersness mm. um, where anything went and there were no rules. Uh, and then at the end of each day, we go back to what they call the bivouac, which is basically the paddock. Mm. It's the biggest motorsport thing I have ever seen. It makes the paddock at Le Mans, you know, look like... I don't, I don't know. You know, the paddock at Mallory Park. It goes on and on and on. I mean, in any given moment, there are about three and a half thousand people in the bivouac. Wow, oh, that's enormous, and that's, isn't it? And does yeah, the, the bivouac moves, doesn't it? It moves. Yeah. Well, well, yes, a lot of it moves. So all mm. the individual team stuff moves. Uh, there's a sort of basic infrastructure, and there are five of those. And then. You know, once, um, you know, people shove off. Um, so so where we were, the bivouac was used, I think, for three, the same one was used for three days because they'd do a sort of out and back to and from the same place. Um, but then they shove off to a different part of Saudi Arabia and all the poor sods, the mechanics, who've been up all night, you know, servicing the cars and everything else. And the moment the cars leave on the next stage, they pack it all up, stick it in the back of trucks and head off and set it up before they arrive at the, 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 the following evening. I mean, it is, and not just for the for the drivers and for the co-drivers, for the mechanics and the teams, it is utterly, utterly exhausting. And you know, usually people, if nothing goes wrong, bedtime for a mechanic's about half past one in the morning. Yeah. For um, two weeks. For two weeks with <laughs> one rest day in the middle of it. It is a whole new level of insanity. And, you know, and I now realise that I haven't paid this event anything like enough attention. Mm. Uh, and I'm just riveted to it now. I mean, I've Brilliant. been back a few days, but... Um, you know, it's, it's it's basically it's just all over my Twitter feed, and I'm wasting too much time watching it on YouTube. And it's if if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you've never seen it, just go and watch some of it, and then think to yourself, however much. Well, let's say you watch a 10 minute um, video of it, and think to yourself, well, that's 10 minutes out of 15 days, and they never drive any other way. Um, it is. It's 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 physically, mentally, and everything for the people who take part in it. It is absolutely astonishing, and, and I I start to understand why you get specialists. Mm. Uh, it's like all forms of motorsport, isn't it? You, you know, some people, and actually, the specialists at Dakar tend to be quite old. So the, you know, the really, you know, the superheroes. So Nasser Al um Carlos Sainz, Stefan Petterhansel. Well, Sainz is in his sixties. Mm. The other two are in their fifties, uh, and I was speaking to. I didn't speak to science because things weren't going terribly well at Volkswagen, at Audi. Um, but I spoke to 
Petter Hansel and I spoke to NASA. Um, and it's, literally, I, I was quite blunt about it. I said, you know, you guys aren't in the first flush anymore. You know, why is it you are absolutely in your prime at this event in your 50s, whereas in most other forms of motorsport, you'd be completely washed up? Um, and they were saying it's basically it's just experience, mm. a, a little bit of a stamina. We all know that, you know, that you're in terms of your stamina, you know, older people tend to do better than younger people. But it's just experience. Um, and having done it as many times as these guys have done it, um, you just learn little things. You learn how to pace yourself. Um, that's, you know, and, and, and how to get through a day and how to keep your car in one piece. Um, and also how to build a relationship. I mean, the relationship with a co-driver. They find out where they just get this, okay? So, you know, if, you, if you're doing a WRC round, I'm going to shut up about this in a minute. Um, you obviously, you know, you have all your pace notes and you go off and you do your recce. You basically know where you're going. Yeah. So if you're doing the Dakar, so you turn up on the start line, five minutes before you start, they give you an electronic route book, which is literally just basically, it's, it's not a map. You have a waypoint. So you know, well, you, have, you might have hundreds of waypoints uh, during the course of a single stage, and you know where the waypoint is. Um, and five minutes before you start, you get a, a, a set of tulip instructions to get you to that white waypoint. So the code, so you have literally, you are setting out into the unknown. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea what the terrain is going to be like. Uh, and you have to get inside the head of the person who's written the road book in five minutes to kind of understand the language. And, and you know, so the navigation is just totally, utterly different. No reckeys, no pace notes, no nothing. Mm. Just there you go. There's a desert. Help yourself. <clears throat> you can see why experience is so key. And it's not as though you did it last year. So now you know where you're going. You know, the stages no, will be it's different never the same. and it will never be the same. And so it, you can't learn the stage. You can only learn an approach. Yeah. And even if the route that were the same, I mean, the sand changes every day. Yeah. The dunes are never the same. They constantly shift. And don't forget and that how... the Dakar has moved as well. It used to be the Paris Dakar to West Africa. Then it was yeah, in South was America. South... Now yeah. it's in the Middle East. Yeah. And they'll all have different characters, different characteristics, oh, different events. Yeah. Completely. Um, and how you can go storming up the side of a dune. And yeah, we went up so many dunes where you looked over the other side and thought, oh, blimey, I'm not going to go over there because it's basically a sheer drop. And how these guys can go storming up the side of a dune with no idea what's on the other side and just kind of, I don't know, whether they, they read the sand or know what the wind is doing. Um, but they just go over the top mm. and they come out, somehow kind of know it's going to be all right. And it is. <laughs> oh, honestly, it's a... But they, yeah. They do crash, don't they? Because they can't always get it right. It no, they don't. And there, and there are some absolutely <coughs> enormous crashes. And, you know, and, you know, if you're one of the big boys in a, in a big car, you know, they are built very, very robustly. Um, and, and they need to be because, you know, you can crash in the middle of nowhere. There's no one around. You know, you could be some just in, and, and also you can get lost. It is so easy to get lost. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're not allowed to wear a watch. Okay. If you're a driver, you're not even allowed to wear a watch. What you do have these days, which they never used to have, is you have, um, all the technology, you know, you have a sat phone mm. and you have a map and you can work out exactly where you are. But the problem is it's in a sealed container. And if you break uh, the seal, you're out the rally. Ah, but that's a clever solution, isn't it? To stop yeah. people getting properly lost. So it's, so it's literally, it's a do or die. It's yeah. literally, we're in the shit. You know, there's actually something slightly more important going on here than finishing mm. this, this rally. Um, I better go and, you know, summon the cavalry. But other than that, you are completely on your own. And so you can have an enormous accident in the middle of nowhere. And it might be a very long time before anyone gets to you. Mm. So, you know, and it's fine if you're in, you know, a Hilux or, you know, a massively built, you know, the Hilux weighs 
two tons, the Audi weighs two point one tons. What if you're on a quad bike? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about. It. And you're on your own if you're on a bike or a quad bike. Think of the pounding to your oh. body on a quad bike, where where you have to use your weight yeah. all the time to control the vehicle. You're constantly swerving left, right, forward, back, up, down, <laughs> all the time. Because if you don't do that, you're coming off. <laughs> oh my goodness! Epic, epic um, as a word has lost its meaning over the years, isn't it? Epic, but it totally epic is applies. Absolutely the right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we need to clip on because we we've got do. ten Sorry. of these to get through. Although, let's yeah. just run the Dakar through my three tests: spectacle, atmosphere, history. Spectacle, yeah, of course, watching all the different types of vehicle soaring across these dunes and plains. That's clearly a spectacle. Atmosphere. I mean, you, you don't have crowds of fans because it's such an enormous event. But what you do have is the setting, the scenery, the atmosphere must come from that. The sense of it, yeah. And particularly if you're not from around those parts, if you know you haven't got a desert outside your back door, yeah. just being there is, yeah, yeah. you know, always. Even if there wasn't a Dakar going on, it's a yeah, pretty it's amazing. amazing place to be. And then yeah. history. Well, it's the biggest rally raid. It's the one all the big names in racing want to win. Loeb, yeah. Science, um, Alonso. You know, you get big, big names there. So of course, oh, Jack, yeah, Jackie, Jackie yeah. X way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it ticks the history box as well. So there you go. Dakar Rally definitely deserves a place on the list. So let's move it on. I mean, Le Mans has to be on the list. We're not going to talk about it for a long time, are we? Because people know about Le Mans. We, yeah, and we'll also we're going to do a lot of Le Mans stuff this year because it's yeah. 100 years and so on. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the biggest individual motorsport events in the world. Certainly top three. Um, and when you're there you do have the sense that the eyes of the motor racing world are on, not you, but that event. So you mm. feel at the centre of something. Um, I remember the first time I went, as a 21-year-old, I was sent down there in a brand-new Chevrolet Corvette. Um, and when you get near the circuit or alongside the circuit, you just get crowds of fans stopping you. Um, and if you've got a slightly hairy-looking car, they will stand in front of you and demand that you do a burnout for everyone. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't, well, I don't know what they do if you don't. Um, and so, so it's an amazing event. Uh, so it has that atmosphere. There's no question Le Mans has the atmosphere. Um, it is a spectacle, you know, particularly, I don't know, at dawn or at dusk, um, oh, if you're it, at the Porsche curves or something, watching the prototypes come through. Amazing. Porsche curves at dawn. That's what I always do. Um, because I'm not terribly good. I mean, I'm not one of these people who, you know, regards it as a badge of honor to stay up on night. I think it's stupid, frankly, because you'll just be knackered <laughs> and have a miserable time. But I am one of these people. I, just, I do love the dawn mm. um, because it's, it's when there's no... In the evening, the evening's great, but everything, there are millions of people around and they're all pissed and falling over each other. And that sort of. <laughs> by, by, by dawn, everyone's gone. And, you know, and if you don't mind walking a bit and you know where to go, you can get to some, to some really good places uh, and basically have this own private show laid on for you. Mm. Um, and, and also I love watching the cars at that time because they're all battle scarred. You know, some of them are still limping around. Um, and they're still going really, really, really fast. And, and to go down to the high speed corner, so the Porsche curves basically, which are the, the best place I think to, to watch from. Um, it's mega. It's mega. And there is, you know, it's Le Mans. There is an atmosphere there like no other place. Mm. Um, it is, it is unique. It is, you know, there's not a team that takes part in the World Endurance Championship which wouldn't throw every other race of the season yeah. if they knew they could win Le Mans. Yeah. It's one of those weird ones, isn't it? It's bigger than the championship. Oh, massively. And, 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 and we know, don't we, that in these horrible days of balance of performance, we know teams that have thrown the races mm. leading up to Le Mans 
which I really, really object to, because people pay money to go and see those races without realising that what they're actually doing is watching a pantomime. Your teams are thrown races so they get a you know a favourable balance of performance for Le Mans. It's that important to them, um, and you know obviously Le Mans twenty three um, with the return of Ferrari, yeah, uh, with the return of Porsche. Um, with the Peugeots there, with you know, Peugeot aren't going to be there this year, are they? Sorry, they're there for next year. Um, the Toyota, you know, there's going to be so much competition, um, and it's a hundred years, and it's going to be absolutely mad. Now, I, you know, um, one of the problems is if you thought you might pop along to Le Mans this year and do a bit of camping, well, you can't because it's all sold out. Really, it's already all gone. They've, you know, the whole lot has gone. Wow. Um, so if you still want to go to Le Mans, um, you know, you're going to need to think a bit about how you're going to do it. I mean, I did, you know, when I was, you know, in my early 20s and I was going, I'd just go, I'd just go and sleep in the car. Mm. I didn't care. I'd just drive down. One year, actually, I, for some reason, I flew into Charles de Gaulle and hired a Renault 5 um, in Paris, drove that to Le Mans, slept in the back of the Renault 5. Um, you know, you do, what, you, you, you do what you have to do, don't you? Uh, and you know, I suppose it's the nighttime, isn't it? Mm. Um, being out, watching the cars um at night going around that circuit you know it's a circuit that i love it's such an old school circuit it's still um you know i'm sure there are lots of modern formula one drivers who have a look around there and think no thanks Mm. because it's still you can still have massive accidents at lamar it's still very old school um and, and and i'm afraid that's all part of the appeal um there is genuine jeopardy there um the people who race there are still you know, very, very brave boys and girls who do it. And, yeah, I love it. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean, it clearly ticks all those boxes, spectacle, atmosphere, history. Um, 100th year this year, you don't need us to tell you any more about the history of Le Mans, so it has to be on the list. So the next one is the Monte Carlo Rally, um, yeah. which is probably the most famous uh, round of the World Rally Championship. Um, it's got extraordinary history. Um, it was. I, I think it probably came close to... Le Mans in that it was one of those individual standalone events that teams and crews, drivers desperately wanted to win and it, a win there might be bigger than the championship. Certainly in the early days, you know, Paddy Hopkirk before there was a World Rally Championship won the Monty and was a household name because of it. Um, yes. So the yeah. history is there. The the spectacle, I mean, if you're, it's always the way with rallying. You need to be on the right corner or have the right view of the stage. Ideally, you want to be at a fast bit or maybe a slippery bit where the cars are moving. But as long as you get that right, the spectacle is unbelievable. The modern world rally car is so fast. Now, what sort of rally is it? What's it categorised as? Is it a tarmac rally? Because usually, it's usually on ice, isn't it? And snow and it's all a, sorts of rubbish. It's a tarmac rally, um, but it's often very snow because it's, it's in January. It's in where it is in the Alps and the Alp Maritime. It's, it's a... It's a tarmac rally, but often it is snowy and icy. I think I don't know what the stages are looking like this year. Um, I know that people have been skiing, have been saying the snow's terrible, so it might be that it is a straight tarmac rally this year. Um, but it's often when it's snowy and icy, it becomes a lottery, and cars are just off all over the place, um, yeah. and it's it, it becomes survival. Um, atmosphere. Well, I just remember being at the top of the Col de Torini, which is the most famous stage on the rally, maybe the most famous sprint rally stage in the world. Um, you're right at the top of the col where there are some hotels and restaurants and it's just a big open area where the, cr- the crowds pack into it and there are thousands of people up there 
fireworks, music, you know, they're throwing ice onto the stage. It's nighttime. You get the, you hear the cars coming through. They sound amazing at night. And then you've got the light pods on the front of the cars sort of sweeping across the, the, the hillsides. Um, and in turn, yeah, for atmosphere, it, it's right up there. It's an extraordinary thing to witness. Um, and the Monte, you know, it's how many hours is it once you're across the channel? It's probably six, eight hours of driving, something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good well, it's a good eight. Yeah, okay, so eight. So it's it, probably make it ten because it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. it's very but it's, 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 very it's a decent day's drive. Yeah, but goodness me, it sounds like like it's worth it. I mean, I I, I did I did go once. Um, and it was it was amazing, um, and to, to, to watch those cars, particularly in the dark, because mm. it gets dark pretty early, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, is 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 yeah, it's absolutely sensational. And that it's such a test of a crew's skill and experience. It's like the Dakar, you know, particularly when it's icy, it can be a lottery. They have their ice crew, so they have cars that go through the stage before they're closed. Um, and they'll tell the co-driver in advance where the ice patches are. Um, but even so, you know, it's so easy to come around a corner, even fairly conservatively. There's sheet ice there that you're not expecting. And just like that, you're off and your rally's over. Just like that. Sheet, I- sheet ice is sheet ice, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you're in, who you are, what you're in, yeah. what tyres you've got. You're off. It is. It's an amazing event. Um, and, you know, whoever ends up winning it deserves all the credit in the world because... They are on edge for hour after hour. It, yeah, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, we have to clip along because we've got <laughs> seven more of these to get through. So can you give us a couple of minutes on Spa GP, Formula One GP. Um, well, if, I mean, if there was... was one on this list that I would question, it's probably Spa GP. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, I think there has to be a Formula One race. There on does. There. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. I'm just wondering where you think... I'm, I'm thinking of it from a spectator's point of view. Mm. Okay, so the British Grand Prix is the British Grand Prix and people are being... But actually, it's a, it's a, you know, it, the truth is that Silverstone is a fantastic circuit to drive around. It's not a great circuit to spectate at yeah. because it's very two-dimensional. Mm. Um, so Spa is very three-dimensional and it's, and it's Spa. Mm. So, you know, in terms of, you know, your qualifications, I mean, I'm just wondering where you'd rather go. I mean, okay, fine, you could say someone like Suzuka, but it's a bit of a schlep. Yeah, it is a bit of a schlep, um, isn't it? And Spa has all the history, it has all the atmosphere, and it has all the spectacle. So I think it just qualifies brilliantly. And also, it's fast, it's properly fast. Um, and the, the viewing is fantastic. You want to see a Formula One car doing what Formula One cars do. So you want to see them basically going through really fast mm. corners, pu- pulling four or five G. And that's what they do um, all the way around that. And to me, compared to what Sterling used to refer, refer to as Monaco. Um, you know, Monaco is, I mean, yes, it's got all the glamour and the glitz and the everything else. Um but there's no overtaking. Uh, the cards are much too big for the circuit. The fact that they're much too fast for the circuit. Whereas Spa is still, despite the fact the circuit is now over a hundred years old, um, it still seems tailor made for it. Mm. So I'm, I'm interested. Why, why, why do you doubt it? And where would you rather go instead? If given that we need to have a Formula One race on there, I think. Well, actually, I, I only question it because I haven't been. It's one of the four oh. on our list that I haven't done. Um, okay. So I've, I don't. I've done Silverstone a couple of times, um, and I do love that. But I think you're right. From a yeah, when you're at Silverstone, I've watched it from. I think it's is it Village, it, the Village Grandstand, where you just get the little tight twiddly bit um, yeah. near the start of the lap. Um, and I've also watched from 
stow. But you're right, you actually don't see a huge amount, do you? Because it's so flat. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, Spa, I, I reckon if I could choose to go to any Grand Prix this year, it would be either Monaco or Spa. Um, so actually, the, other thing about Spa, the other thing about Spa is it usually rains, and that's a so whole new dimension. Yeah, sometimes yeah. too much. Yeah, well, maybe. Well, yeah, one time too much, certainly. <laughs> okay, so let's clip on then to our first North American event. Indy 500, have you been? No. No, nor me. No. I sort of, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because... It's almost a bit like the Dakar. It sort of exists on the periphery of my of my enthusiasm. Mm. Um, you know, I've never been a big fan of oval racing, but I am curious about it because you know, watching an event where it, whenever you look at the track, whichever part of the track, whichever car you're looking at, it's doing more than two hundred miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of interesting, yeah. isn't it? And you know, and and also you know the history of it. Um, you know, it is the oldest motor race in the world still happening. Um, and I, and I have never been, and I kind of feel as a part of my own motoring education, which is not going to be complete until I do go. Um, and it's, it's another one like Le Mans where the, there are plenty of drivers who would rather win that than the championship. Oh, I'm sure. Probably even more so, actually. Mm probably even more so it is the one isn't it it is the one event in north america which i'm sure that anyone who's grown up as a passionate fan would want to win more than more than any else um and you can see why if you look at the great dynasties of families that have um Mm. you know gone to that uh, event you know the fact that it's when was the first one 908 i think (laughs) it's such a it is such an immensely historic occasion uh, you think of you know, the amazing races that have been there, the the evolutions of the cars that have been there. Uh, there have been some terrible tragedies there, and some absolutely astonishing victories. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, I I put it on the list because, well, it's the Indy Five Hundred. Mm. It's you know, it's one of the, th- the three races, isn't it? It's it's with you know, um, you know, Le Mans and the Monaco Grand Prix. That well, only one person has ever won all three. Graham Hill. Mm. Um, and it is, you know, they are the holy trinity. If, 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 if such an overused phrase can still be applied uh, in a triple crown, context. some people say, don't triple they? crown, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I haven't seen it. And you know, although, as I said, you know, oval racing is not something which I instinctively feel passionate about, um, nor am I quite so arrogant as to dismiss it without having seen it. So, yeah, that's why it's on, on the list. And there are hundreds of thousands of fans there, aren't there? It's an enormous yeah. place, indeed. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine what the atmosphere is like. So there you go. Clearly ticks all three boxes. Um, all right. A very different sort of event, not least because we're talking two wheels rather than four. Um, this one's slightly closer to home. A short hop over to the Isle of Man oh. for the TT. Yeah. An event unlike any other, actually. It's a proper yeah. throwback kind of motorsport event. Um, yeah. Well, I, the standout memory for me, I've been once or twice, is... Wandering down to the bottom of Bray Hill, which is yes. right at the start, but they, yeah. I think they're doing, I don't know, one seventy or something on the approach. One, uh, exactly. They are flying along. It's unbelievable, um, and it's the first time in my life where I've ha- I've watched them go through, watched the handful of bikes go through, and I've just had to walk away because mm. I, I I could barely stand it, and because I sadly, tragically, because I knew that that you know at the bottom of the, at the compression at the bottom of the hill they skip they sort of skip a foot to the left or whatever it is. Um, and I just thought, if I watch one of these guys misjudge it, I've 
witness the worst thing a person could witness. You know, it's yeah. it's really, really that that extraordinary. Um, nevertheless, you know, watching the bikes fly through there is unreal. The speed they're carrying, and just it's so, it's so odd to be in this basically an urban setting, certainly at the bottom of Bray Hill, a very familiar kind of setting. You're just in a town and there is a bike doing 170 miles an hour through it. And then another one and then another one. Um, yeah, it, uh, it's, it is it's so unbelievable. In- it's so interesting to hear you say it was too much for you. It was too much for me. Mm. I've only been once. Um, on that day, two people died. Yeah. One of them less than a minute after I saw them come past the sidecar outfit. Yeah. Um, and the bottom of Bray Hill, I might mention this on podcast before, there are traffic lights down there because mm. uh, it's a junction. And I was there with our, with our good friend and contributor, Colin Goodwin, who I think goes most years. Um, and this was before the bikes had come through, so we're just kind of like wandering around. Um, and, and it's a bit like the Dakar so far. There are very few people saying, you know, I suspect if you try and stood in the middle of the road that someone might have something mm. to say, but you know, you can just literally line the track. So I wondered what the traffic lights, cause I saw that somebody had put some big chunky padding around the traffic light. Um, and I went up and I thought, well, at least that's something. And I went up just down. I was just sort of knocking at this padding and it just felt rock hard. And I thought to myself, well, if you hit that, you might as well have hit the traffic light. So I said to Colin, to Colin, I don't understand why they put all this padding around the traffic light, but it's so hard that they might as well not bothered. And he said, that's because you think it's there to protect the riders. Yeah. It's not. It's there to protect the traffic light. <laughs> and then suddenly, in that moment, I suddenly, I just sort of saw the whole thing in a whole new context. Mm. It is, it is a level of heroism yeah. where the balance is not so much between oversteer and understeer, but literally between life and death. Um, and when you see them come out of their, their little tents with their helmets under their arms and walk off to their bike and you look and, and you see the look in their faces, it is extraordinary because some of them look genuinely haunted and yet they can't not do it. Mm. It is, I think for lots of them, it is an obsession mm. which never goes away. Um, and you can, if you go and watch it on YouTube, it is absolutely, it is one of the most extraordinary motor racing spectacles you can ever see. All I can tell you is... It is nothing compared to seeing it for yourself. And I've been once and was completely blown away. And I left thinking, I wonder if I'll ever come back. Mm. And all I can say is that was probably six, seven years ago, and I haven't yet. Um, uh, What you said is absolutely right. If you're a certain sort of lily-livered, you know, person like me, and you watch people literally, willingly risking their lives like that and just how obviously and easily it could go so catastrophically wrong you almost begin to wonder whether you're watching it for the right reasons Mm. um you know i love watching any form of motorsport where you know drivers or riders get themselves into all sorts of trouble and because of their incredible skill get out of it again that's good fun I don't like watching people crash. I don't like people watching people crash even when there aren't, there's no real consequence. And let alone at somewhere like the Isle of Man where, you know, you hit a house, you hit a tree, you hit a, uh, it's, it's just game over. And as we know, you know, every year, you know, it happens multiple times. What, what, what I do, what I do admire, I think that is the right way, is that, is that it still happens. Yeah. Because there must be so much pressure 
I mean, it's such an outlier these days, oh, isn't it? That an event that dangerous. It's like nothing else now. <clears throat> yeah, can still be allowed to happen. Um, and I hope that it always does because, you know, and I've made this point many times before, um, as long as it is the people taking part who are alone at risk and they know those risks, let them get on with it. I think it's a, a 37-mile course. Yeah, it is. And it goes through several towns. It goes over the mountain, through countryside. Um, there are tight hairpins, very, very sharp, slow corners. And yet the quickest guys are averaging, averaging more than 130 miles an hour a lap. If, if you try to do 130 miles an hour on a motorway, which is illegal you're not allowed to but if you tried to do that you would lose your nerve very very quickly in a car on a wide open clear motorway you might lose you might not but you get the point that i'm making but averaging that on a motorcycle around a course like the tt mountain course i i I just can't get my head around it i can't compute that Um, when i when i raced a mclaren gt4 car at spa because it's a quick circuit i did i was quite proud of this i did a hundred mile an hour lap Ah, well, <laughs> I, I did a lap at 100 fast. miles an hour, um, and that felt so fast. But I was driving on a purpose-built Formula One-approved circuit mm. in a car mm. with all the runoff and all the safety barriers, um, and it was a really, really fast circuit. We're doing 100 with long as we were doing 100 miles an hour. Really, isn't very difficult, um, and I was really proud of that. <laughs> it is just <laughs> to do it on narrow public roads which undulate yeah. which go in and out of houses and trees and over a mountain it's um yeah i mean i would urge everyone who hasn't been to go but keep your mind open um because you may feel as i think i probably feel that once is enough mm. it's it's too frightening but my goodness what a spectacle yeah so this next one is probably the the most achievable on the list easiest to do for, particularly for listeners living in the uk um yeah. it's also i think i believe the first of two events on our list that you have competed in yourself um it's the goodwood revival yeah and well I, let's just run it through my test spectacle atmosphere history spectacle yeah fantastic particularly when you're watching the the quick cars um you know maybe in the rac tt or some of the others going through the quick corners the best drivers and you see them sliding all the way through um, mm. and there might be nose to tail really dicing that is spectacle as good as it gets on four wheels i'd love it definitely atmosphere yeah of course because there's so much going on around the circuit so many people there so many everyone's people enjoying dressed it. up isn't it everyone's and, dressed the, up and, yeah and the and the war birds in the in the yeah. sky and so it's yeah, an atmosphere and, and, unlike, unlike any other isn't it really yeah and history i mean this is a different slant on that point isn't it history because it it's the only one that actually makes you feel like you're there in period. Gives you yeah. an idea of what it was really like in period. So, yeah, yeah. it ticks that history box just in a slightly different way. Um, I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's the only event I do um, where, you know, I, there are lots of people out there who will do anything to win at Goodwood. Um, I never have. I've never been on the podium at Goodwood. I, I, I would, there was one race where I came within five minutes of coming second. Um, five minutes something went wrong with the car yeah something went, went wrong with the car five oh, minutes I, the I, th- I thought you meant you were five minutes behind the guy yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> no, that's happened plenty of times um, but it, it really is the only race where the taking part is what matters yeah um, 
to be out there on that circuit at that event um, in front of that crowd is just, it is magical. It is absolutely magical. Mm. And what you really, really want to do is have a good dice with someone, have a really, really good race um, without, you know, coming to grief anywhere because it's quite easy to do that at Goodwood. And then, you know, on the slowing down lap, you're going down the straight together, you know, grinning at each other and thumbs up and, you know, and, 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 you know, talking to each other afterwards in part Fermi and that sort of, and it is, um, yeah, to take part in, and I've been very, very lucky to have done it a few times. Uh, it is, it is wonderful, but it is also because I'm such a spoilt brat, I really, really don't like going to motor races that I'm not in. I mean, if it's Formula One, well, fair enough, I'm never <laughs> going to do that. But if it's, um, you know, historic racing or sort of, uh, you know, a, a sort of race which I sort of feel that I should be in and I'm not, I find it quite difficult because usually I've got, you know, lots of my mates out there having an awful lot of fun and I'm not. But the Revival is the only one which I would just, without thinking about, go and spectate mm. because it is such a fantastic place to watch a motor race. Because the circuit layout literally has not changed since 1948 it's the only circuit i can think of which has not changed at all what do you draw i can remember talking to family friend bloke called mike sam sadly died now um, but he did a lot of revivals and he raced a lot at goodwood in the 50s and 60s and saying to him you know how different is it and he and he looked at me quizzically and he went what do you mean different it's the same mm. it is no different what you're racing on today is what i raced on in the 1950s that's amazing. And you know, they, beyond the circuit fringes, they've done little bits. There's a little bit of gravel. I think the barriers have gone back a bit, but the actual track is the track. And so, if you wondered what the track was like when you know Jim Clark and Jackie Stewart set the lap record there in their Formula One cars in 1965, go drive around Goodwood, and that's what it is. Um, and then, obviously, all the extra stuff that they yeah. pile in for the revival. It's a wonderful, wonderful event. Um, I think it's only got better and better from a spectator's point of view, but from a a sort of amateur driver's point of view. Is there a case to say that it's become a bit of a victim of its own success? Is it now too popular? Are there too many XF1 guys coming in, taking up seats? Is there too much money being spent on the fastest cars? It's, an, it's a very interesting point. Uh, I think you have to look at it from the point of view of the spectator and the spectacle. Because, we, for, okay, from the, from the point of view of the amateur driver, I think if, I, if coming somewhere really mattered to me, mm. um, then yes, I think absolutely that it would, because it does attract the very best drivers it does attract the most meticulously and expensively prepared cars because you know apart from anything else if your car has won a race at the good revival that does good things for that does not do Mm. bad things for its value um and so clearly there is massive incentive um to go out there and win it but for me as i said earlier as long as I'm out there, as long as I'm not coming, coming last, as long as I can have a bit of fun with someone out there, I don't really care because, you know, no one is going to, you know, put me, you know, in a car that is capable of winning a race. And given the standard of the driving up the front, because basically you've got professional drivers in most races now, you know, even if they did, I still wouldn't win the race because, you know, I'm too old and too slow. Um, so, you know, I'm never going to win a race at Goodwood anymore. Um, I had my chance and I blew it. Um, so, um, no, I'd just, I'd, I'd just rather be out there. And I think so far as the spectators are concerned, it's all about the spectacle. I mean, I would like, I think I would like to see things adjusted a bit so that cars that were likely to win in period become, you know, for instance, you know, Jaguar E-types um, in the TT are unbelievably competitive now in a way they simply never were mm. in period because they um, can be tuned. You know, you can tune an E-type in a way you simply can't tune a 250 GTO. 
um and and so the balance has changed and the american cars as well you know which were competitive in period but they've become massively competitive these days um and so the actual compositions of the grids have changed a lot and i would uh, i i would like to see you know a lot of the you know the real blue bloods the ferraris and the astons mm. and that sort of thing have a slightly more prominent role in proceedings now than they do um but it's but it's difficult to arrange because you don't want to put too many rules on these things i guess you just do it by invitation don't you mm. um you know the one thing that the duke of richmond can say is who doesn't doesn't take part in his events um but um you know i'm nitpicking it's wonderful mm. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, okay, three more to get through. I'm hoping that you've been to this next one because I haven't. Um, Pikes Peak? No. Yeah, okay. No. Well, yeah, but I'm glad it's on there because it's a, it's a hill climb. It's the, the only hill climb on the list. Um, so it's, it's a very different type of event to any other um, on our list. Uh, it's changed character a lot in recent years because they've paved the whole thing. Um, yes, boo. So it goes all the way up Pikes Peak. Um, I, that's, I think it's 14,000. I think it's halfway up to the top of Everest. It's 14,000 feet at the top. Yeah, you start at 10,000 feet. Yeah. And it's basically, it's a Nürburgring mm. in a straight line uphill. Yeah. So it's about, it's about the same sort of, it's about 170 corners. It's about 13 miles and you climb about 4,000 feet in those. So you start pretty high. You start at 10,000 feet, which is almost twice the height of Ben Nevis. Mm. That's where you start. And you end at 14 and a bit thousand feet, which is almost the height of Mont Blanc. Yeah. Um, wow. So it's really, really high. Um, and what's great about it? Uh, massive variety of entrants. Um, huge amounts of skill on display. I love also events which, are, which attract specialist cars. Mm. Um, you know, I've just literally, I've been having this conversation, I thought of an 11th. <laughs> That's really inconvenient, isn't it? Well, we'll come to that at the end, and we'll briefly discuss okay. which one you'd kick off for your eleven. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I'd love to go. I've never been, um, but it's it, it, what's curious about it now is that electric cars are starting to have their say because the altitude means that a combustion engine loses so much of its power as you climb yeah. the hill, climb the mountain. An electric car doesn't lose that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean. I think Great the IDR, history. the Volkswagen IDR, has got the still Roman Dumas still got yeah. the record, hasn't it? Yeah, electric car. There you go. So it's got the history. Yeah. It's got the the spectacle. I don't, don't really know about atmosphere. Presumably, it's a bit like the Dakar, just because it's such an extraordinary location. It's dripping with atmosphere yeah. in a slightly different way. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, I it, bet. But, you, I also get. The, I also bet you get some proper characters in the oh, Humboldt specials doing it. No question. Yeah. And let's uh, yeah, let's hope it. It's always that way. You you don't want it to become so globally prominent and successful that all the small guys get booted out that would be such a pity because you'd lose so much of the texture of the event um and i guess actually that's probably happened to one or is happening to the last event on our list but we'll come to that so the next one i know you have been to i haven't so you can tell us a bit about bathurst oh bathurst yeah so (laughs) um bathurst mount panorama about a three-hour drive west of sydney over the blue mountains uh it's just the I can remember when I went and I was sitting on the plane going back, thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to fly over Lamore on the Nürburgring. Um, would I fly over them again to get back to Bathurst and thinking that I would? Mm. Um, because to watch GT3 cars go over the mountain mm. uh, is, is again a, you know, all these things we talk about, they, we say they're a unique spe- spectacle. They are, you know, and that doesn't make, you know, not that you can qualify unique, but they're just different. 
And there are so many different shades and types and textures of motorsport. Um, and I'm still finding new ones. And you go to Bathurst and you go up onto the mountain and you see GT3 cars coming through this narrow snaking ribbon of tarmac. Um, and, it, and it is... And, and, and the, the walls are so close. It's just another form of amazing motorsport. Where the skill, I, I, like, I go to these things because I want to watch the skill of the driver. And it is so evident mm. at Bathurst. Because mm. you see, because the track is so narrow, they have to use every millimetre of it. And to watch them threading the needle across the mountain, uh, particularly when there are 20 of them all together, uh, it, is, it is absolutely wonderful. And then they go down that ridiculous straight the Conrod straight, which must be one of the longest straights in motor racing. Um, and they go off and then they do it for 12 hours. I absolutely adored it. It's got a, you know, on your, it's got a wonderful atmosphere. Um, actually at the Bathurst 12 hours, you don't get, I mean, you hear stories, don't you, about Bathurst, about, you know, absolutely rolling drunk Australians, <laughs> you know, setting fires to cars. And that's, sort of, that doesn't happen at the 12 hours. That, I think that happens or certainly happened at you know big Aussie V8 mm. events didn't happen at the 12 hours what, what I saw at the 12 hours was just a bunch of really passionate knowledgeable motor racing enthusiasts like-minded individuals um, who've traveled there to just indulge their passion uh, and it was a wonderful bunch of people to hang out at a wonderful event you know history spectacle atmosphere you know ticks all your three boxes Got it. with that and, and, I, and I go back tomorrow I really would yeah Fantastic. Um, okay, so last on the list, number 10, um, another one that yeah. you have competed in. That's right, isn't it? No, I haven't. Haven't you? No, well, no. Well, you're talking about the N24, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, Nürburgring 24 yeah, the hours. Nürburgr- No, I haven't I done the 24. I've, I, I, I've raced at the Nürburgring. I've done yeah. six-hour races there. Mm. Um, done a four-hour race there. Um, I've done an all-timer race there, all on the Nordschleifer, but I haven't done the 24. Wow. Um, I have been offered races in the 24, but... I just got to a stage because I guess I started, you know, I was nearly 30 when I started racing and I was probably in my mid forties when these sorts of offers came along, by which stage I'd already done so much of it that I got to the stage where if it wasn't going to be fun, I didn't want to do it. Mm. I wasn't going to do it to, you know, to get noticed or whatever, or for the sense of achievement or anything, yeah. you know, forget all that. And every time I have raced a modern car at the Nürburgring, I've always been more glad to have done it than I was while I was doing it. Mm-hmm. I was always glad to get to the finish. I was always glad to get to the end of my stint. And I think it basically goes back to the fact that I'm a coward. Um, you know, there are other races that I do, um, which where I'm, you know, if I'm racing at Spa um, or Silverstone or if I'm racing old stuff almost anywhere, um, I absolutely love being in the car. I love the moment as you're driving. At the Nürburgring, you know, just to if you do a stint round there and you can drive around the Nordschleife maybe in slightly dodgy weather for an hour and then get out of the car and everything's still as good as it was when you got into it, there's a real sense of achievement there and I like that feeling. Mm. Um, but do you know, it's a pathetic. I think I'd rather watch it than driving it. I don't and think so it's when pathetic the, at all. It's, when, it, it, when the odd offer, you know, because you know, you and I have got lots of you know close friends, people like uh, Chris Harris and Dickie Meaden, who've done it lots and lots of times, and I really admire them because, to me, out there with that many cars, at night in the wet on that circuit, mm. it it just isn't my idea of a good time, mm. and that probably says more about me than the event. But um, you know, they. I don't know whether they love it or whether they just feel compelled to do it or just really, really enjoy 
the fact that they've done it um but it's you know i i I won't do the n24 now because apart from anything else the only way i would do it would be you know there there would need to be two things in place which won't happen one is it would need to be done on a completely no pressure basis because you know you really really don't want your crew chief coming on the radio saying andrew sorry i need another 10 seconds lap out of you when you're already going as fast as you like no you don't need that and and secondly i'd only do it in a quick car Mm. because if you're in a car that's towards the back of the field, and I've had this in VLN, um, it's horrible. You just cut, you know, because of the, the, the topography of the Nürburgring, because it's always, there are always corners, there are always crests, you can't see the bastards coming. If you're on some big, wide British airfield circuit, yeah. you can look in the mirror and you can see for miles by the next car. And then, you know, you'll be driving along, mind your own business, and then suddenly there'll be 20 of them on top of you. And that's really scary. And they'll go round you, over you, under you, whatever. Um, and I didn't appreciate that. Mm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think I'm, I've never raced there, but I think I'm probably. Um, have you, have with you been you. to it though? Yeah, oh, a few times. It's, yeah, okay. from a spectator's point of view, it is astonishing because the track is so cool. Um, the fastest GT3 cars with those fearsomely talented and committed factory drivers. Just watch an onboard qualifying lap from a Kevin Estre or someone. It's yeah. unreal how they go around that circuit in those yeah. GT3 cars. Um, and, you know, they're doing it for 24 hours. They are going hammer and tongs flat out all the way. There's huge speed differentials between the different cars, um, the different classes, and it's got the, the atmosphere. The fans, particularly the German fans, they really go for it. You know, they build these structures that they live in for a week or something. They're playing all this music. They've got their barbecues going. Um, it's it's almost as amazing to see what's going on alongside the circuit as on it. Um, yeah. So it, it's a must do, and it doesn't take long to get there. Um, yeah, it, it 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 should be on the list. I think it's a fantastic event, um, and the history. Well, it's the circuit that has the history, isn't it? So you, it, there's no question it ticks all of my three boxes. Um, I just. So I just I I did mention earlier that there was an event that was perhaps changing in character, and it's the N24 because it's become a professional motorsport race, isn't it? For factory teams, works yeah. teams, um, yeah. and it used to be a bit bit clubbier than that with you know amateur drivers throughout the field, um, and I think there are people, you know, some of our some of our friends have said to me in the past that it's changed and it's become too pressured, too fast, too professional, um, but. I suppose from a spectator's point of view, you want the fastest cars, you want the fastest drivers, the biggest names. Um, So maybe it is, from that point of view, just getting better and better. Um, So very quickly then, you said that you thought of an 11th. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't put this on the list because it's actually the one I want to go to more than any other. I'm going to try and guess it. What form, what discipline is it? No, if I tell you that, you'll get it in a heartbeat. Okay, go on. Bonneville Speed Week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's certainly the eleventh, isn't it? Maybe, yeah. maybe it boots something off the list. But you have been, haven't you? No, I've you, been to Bonneville. Okay, but not I've been to the... Bonneville twice. It was flooded both occasions. So <laughs> I've never even driven on it. I've been to it. I went there with Jethro quite recently, and uh, we just sort of stood there and thought, "Well, that's very nice." Yeah. <laughs> and the way, came back again. Um, so yeah, I would love to go to Bonneville Speed Week. This is where you get all these bonkers home-built yeah. land speed record cars mm. hurtling and bikes hurtling across the salt. Uh, two three four hundred miles an hour you know some of them made out of you know drop tanks from old you know world war ii yeah. you know aircraft and v bombers and uh, yeah, whatever um and 
because the salt is so white and the skies are so clear there is there's a ghostly atmosphere about the place mm. and because it is oh my goodness you know talk about the middle of nowhere mm. you know i thought that the, you know the saudi desert was fairly remote um go to bonneville it is absolute bonneville utah it is so far from anything um and it's a, it's a fantastic spectacle. I'd love to go and do that. That's great. Uh, we're running out of time, aren't we? We are. So there you go. That's our, well, 11, the our top 11 must-see motorsport <laughs> events. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you let us know what we're missing. But remember, if you want to add one to the list, you have to take one away. Um, so yeah. get in touch via email, info at the well, hang on. I've added one to the. Uh, sorry, I've added one to the list, so do I have to take one away? Well, it depends. If you want uh, Bonneville to be on it, yeah, then yes, you do have to take one away. Well, because okay, because I'm adding it, I can remove it. You wouldn't remove this. I'm going to remove the Monty because I'm oh. not a massive rally bloke. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> I'm insulted. Okay, yes. it's, it's no pun intended. Um, right, so, yeah, if you want to let us know what we're missing from our list, um, get in touch, info at the-intercooler.com or a message on Twitter or on Instagram or however else you want to get in touch. Um, we do read them all. Uh, we've got a listener question coming up very soon, very quickly, because we're running out of time. Um, but I just have to remind you, please, to rate and review the podcast. It's really important. Basically, it's how we find new listeners. And clearly, the bigger the podcast gets, the more we can do with it. So please rate and review and follow or subscribe wherever you listen to us. So the listener question comes from Sam Oboy. Um, and we'll do this one quickly. He says, when for you does the review of a car start? Is it when it's booked in, or maybe when you're holding the key, sat in the seat, or after a first proper drive? Um, and you'd like an example if you can. I've got my answer, but I'm interested to know what you think. Uh, there, are, there are sort of two answers. I mean, the first thing, I guess it starts when you suddenly feel the need to review it. So that you're interested in this thing, and you think that your readers or your listeners mm. will be interested sufficiently. And so you can't have not thought about the car. Uh, but to actually review the car... Um, you've got to be in it. Mm. You know, you've got to have it physically there. Um, so you could say it's when you start sort of pouring over the specifications and weighing up the rivals and everything else, which you all do before you get to the car. Um, but for me, the review starts when I see it, when I physically see it, and I see it stance on the road, and I start to approach it. Um, so I may have you know done an awful lot of the sort of background work before mm. then, but no, the re- that's when the review starts. It certainly starts before I've sat in it, certainly starts before I've driven it. Yeah, when you see it. That's a very interesting point. Um, so I, you, you touch on it. I think um, there's more. I think it begins when you drive the car's predecessor or that car's predecessor um, and maybe when you've driven every rival because context is key. Context is vital. Um, you need to know the landscape, otherwise you don't know really what you're reviewing, if it's good or bad. And this is why I say that in this line of work, it takes at least five years road testing cars full time, maybe 10 years before you're really starting to get somewhere because you need that context. Um, and Sam wanted an example. I'm This week I'm driving the new Honda Civic Type R. Um, I've driven the four predecessors. I know them all quite well. I've driven every rival. I'm familiar with the spec. Um, so because I have the context around the new Civic Type R, um, and so I'm going to go into that knowing exactly what I'm looking for. Um, and I think I'll probably hopefully do a reasonable job because i've built up that context over 15 years in this job so when does a, the review of a car start yeah it, it maybe starts when you see it um for the first time or it could go way back it could go back to 
when you started in the job because context is so key. Um, but there we go. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Sam, for that question. Keep getting your list of questions across because um, it's a fun way to end the podcast. And we will do it again next week. Look forward to it. Thanks.